Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. When I lived in New Orleans, uh, a new frozen yogurt place opened up. It was called Froyo. You guys familiar with Froyo? Okay, so I'd never been there. You know, just brand new place opened up. I'd never been there before. And so I walk in the door, and this place is fantastic on the inside. Let me tell you, if you've never been or you don't know how it works, here, here I walk in, and there's about 20 different flavors of soft-serve frozen yogurt that you can choose from. And right beside that, there is a bar, like a buffet of about a hundred different toppings that you can put on top of your frozen yogurt. We've got gummy worms, we've got candy bars, we've got cookies of all shapes and sizes and kinds. There are sprinkles, there are syrups and caramels and whipped cream and cherries. There's cereal. Like if you like fruity pebbles on your yogurt, you can do fruity pebbles. This is it was crazy. And so I walked in here, I was like, man, this is a great idea. I love this. So I started at the very beginning, first time I'd ever been there before, I started at the very beginning and they have two different cup sizes, right? So they have a a regular size bowl, and then they have a large bowl. And uh, so, like, I'm just like, hey, I'm I'm trying to save some money. I was in school at the time, and so I I got the regular bowl, and I I go up and I fill my... My, my, my bowl, my regular bowl, you got to do it like this, okay? You got you to wheel it around. It gets more yogurt in there than just plopping it in there. So I fill it all the way up to the top, and then I went way over to the bar, and I noticed something. I noticed right here in the cookie section, there are those long, skinny, like sugar wafer cookies. Do you know what I'm talking about? They come in like vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. Actually, they come in like yellow, brown, and pink. I know this is the fake flavor, but you know what I'm talking about. So about three inches long, about a half inch wide. So my wheels start to turn at this moment. And I'm like, I'm getting ready to beat the system in this place. So here's what I do. I get all of these, like, I get like 20 of these one-inch sugar wafers, and I stick them along the outside rim of my bowl. Do you know what I've just done? I have increased the ice cream capacity by three inches on this bowl. And I'm looking at the guy over at the counter at the cash register. I'm like, yeah, you ain't never seen anything like this before, have you? You know, you didn't know I knew how to do this. So I go back over to the yogurt and fill it up another three inches. I am defining what goes in a regular cup. I go back over to the bar. I do graham crackers, white chocolate chunks, any kind of cookie you can imagine. Then I move on and, and they have this can of whipped cream in it that you turn upside down and squirt. So I put like three inches of whipped cream on there. And then I grab a cherry. I made sure the stem was at the top so it would add another inch to what I'm going over here. And like there's so much by this time, I'm, I'm having a two-handed, regular size cup, I'm having a two-hand. And I'm, I'm taking like baby steps over to the register because I don't want it to fall. I got like an eight-inch ice cream sundae, first time I've ever been in there. And I, and I put it down on the counter, and I got mixed emotions about it because, for one, I'm proud that I gamed the system. I thought I did. But on another end, I'm like, man, I feel bad because I'm sticking it to this guy. Like, he's not making any money off of this ice cream right here. Like, I figured out how to do it. I figured out the game plan behind it. And so I looked at this guy. I was like, man, I bet you never seen anything like that before. He's like, nah, you're right. 
And then I asked him a question. I said, now look, this, I know this is eight inches tall, but uh, this is a regular cup. You can look down on there. It's a regular size cup. It's not a large cup. It's a regular size cup. So tell me uh, how much do I owe you for the regular size cup? And he said something. I don't know if you've ever been to Froyo before. He said something I'll never forget. I looked at him. I said, how much is it? Like I was all confident. He was like, put it on the scale. I said, I'm sorry, what? He said, put your cup on the scale. Here at Froyo, we, we charge by the ounce. Now, see, it was my first time, man. I didn't know that. $14.73. $14, I kid you not, $14.73 later, most expensive ice cream I'd ever had. I don't know if that was written somewhere. Like, I don't know if there's, like, ice cream fine print somewhere on the wall or on the brochure. But I had no idea. Like, I felt like I got tricked. I, I did not know how much it cost. I did not know what was involved. If I'd have known that, I wouldn't have made it eight inches tall. I would not have done the sugar cookie rim around the outside of it. Like, I would have done it a lot differently. But when I got up there and realized how much it cost... Uh, I realized that he had got me. I realized that I should have probably done it differently. We're coming up on the, the tail end of this series called Come With Me, and we're really looking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to, to follow Jesus? Two weeks ago, uh, we talked about what it means to, to, to what we should wear as followers of Jesus, what we put on um, when we talk about compassion and kindness and gentleness and, and humility and, and these ideas of what it looks like, what a follower of Jesus for, well, should look like. Uh, the week after that, we talked about where are we going? Like if Jesus is giving me an invitation, come with me. I want to know where we're going. Like, is it a good trip? Do I need to pack stuff for it? How long are we going to be gone? Like, what are the details? And maybe the most surprising week of this series was week one on Easter Sunday when, when we realized that the invitation that Jesus gives to people like you and me to follow him does not mean that you have to believe the right things, and it does not mean that you have to know the right things and do the right things. It's not about doing and just believing, because here, here check this out, 100% of the people in Scripture that said yes to follow Jesus, every one of them was a sinner. And every one of them didn't believe what they were supposed to believe when Jesus issued this invitation. But he still looked at them and said, why don't you come and follow me? But today, I want to share with you what some people may call the fine print. What's it going to cost to follow Jesus? Because I'm like, i gotta, I got to shoot you straight. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Eventually, it may not happen today. I don't know how long you've been following Jesus. But eventually, if you say yes to the invitation to follow Jesus, it will cost you something. It's not a free ride. It's not like Jesus just gives and gives and gives. And it's not just like a benefit. And I get it. Like, I'll admit it that there are some huge benefits to following Jesus. Man, your marriage is going to be different. Your finances are going to be different. Your relationships are going to be different. Like Jesus totally revolutionizes your life in a great positive way when you decide to accept this invitation to follow him. But I got, I got to tell you, despite all that stuff, the benefits are great. It is going to cost you something eventually. In Matthew chapter 16, it's the passage we're going to look at today. You can either open up your Bible or turn on your Bible or look up at the Bible. Either way, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus looks around and he realizes that at this point in his ministry, there are more people that are following him than has ever existed. Almost three years ago, Jesus launched his ministry and called Peter, James, and John. He had three guys to start with. And at this point in the story, there are over 5,000 people. Man, 
Jesus grew that thing quick from three to 5,000 in less than three years' time. But here's what Jesus realizes. He starts to look around and says, a lot of the people that are following me right now, a lot of these 5,000 that are in the crowd, they are really in it for one reason. What can Jesus do for me? Hey, man, Jesus has done some miracles. Jesus healed a guy. He healed me before. That's why I'm here following Remember when we were hanging out with Jesus and he provided that meal? That was the best bread and fish that I had ever eaten, and he fed 5,000 people. Like, I just want to know what's next on the menu. Remember those stories that Jesus has been telling? Jesus is the greatest storyteller. Remember that time Jesus walked on the water and we all saw that? I do not want to hear that on the news the next day. I am so glad that I was there and that I actually saw it, like, I'm here, and I I just can't wait to see what Jesus is going to do next. I can't wait to see what benefit he has for me next. And Jesus realized that a lot of people were following him at this point, despite all the things. Again, benefits are great, but Jesus understood. I'm not calling you to be a consumer. I'm calling people to be followers. I'm calling people to be disciples. And so... He gives a talk in these verses in Matthew 16, and despite there being huge benefits of following Jesus, that's not why we say yes to the invitation. That's not why we say yes to Jesus. And Jesus wants to make this clear. I want to make this totally clear. The last thing I want you to do at the end of your life is to get to the spiritual register and realize that you had no idea how much it would cost. I don't want you to reach a point in your life in following Jesus and say, whoa, if I'd have known that, if, if you'd have told me, if I'd have read the fine print, if you would, I, I thought it was a free gift, I thought it was all about me and Jesus was going to make everything better. Like, I just don't want you to get to that point. Because in this passage, starting from here to when Jesus was crucified, slowly but surely people began to drop off. And from this point on, he went from 5,000 followers to a few months later, only having 11 men. And it started with this phrase right here. It started with the text that we're going to look at today. A lot of Christians don't like this. A lot of pastors don't want to preach it. A lot of people that have said yes to Jesus in the past want to pump the brakes when they hear a passage like this. They think it's fine print. They think it was bait and switch, like Jesus kind of tricked me into following him, and now he's going to tell me what I need to do. But I, I, want, to, I want to put that to bed. I want to, I want to show you something today that, that I think is going to change you. Hey, listen, there were about 5,000 people that didn't get this. And only 10 dudes that did. And guess which one of those groups changed the world? The 10. The 10 that said, hey, I'll weigh the cost. I will think about what Jesus is calling and commanding me to do. And I'll make the decision to follow him or not. But to me, this is interesting. To me, this is one of the most encouraging passages in Scripture. Like A lot of people are like, I don't like this, I, I don't want to talk about what I have to do or what I have to give up or what I have to sacrifice, but for me, it's an encouraging, it's a great reminder of what this life is all about. So how is that? Why is it the majority of people look at this verse and hate it, but some other people look at it and think this is a great thing, this is the greatest thing that Jesus could have ever said? Here's the deal, perspective. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the perspective that it takes if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. If you're going to continue in this journey with him and understand what it's going to cost, it's going to take a change in your perspective. Let's do uh, Matthew chapter 16. We'll start in verse 21. Let's pick up the story. It said, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. 
and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Then Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus decides to shake it up a little bit, sees 5,000 people in front of him, and he says, hey, let me see who you're really here to follow. And he begins to look at his followers. Now, again, if we're following Jesus, then wherever he goes is where we are going, right? That's kind of what follow means. And all these disciples and all these people and followers heard Jesus say this, we're going to Jerusalem. Okay, so we're going to follow you. And when we get there, there will be much suffering. And I will ultimately have to give my life and on the third day be raised again. So you're sitting there tracking. It's like, all right, I'm following Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes is where I go. So Jesus said, here's where he's going, to suffer and to die. Suffer and die, suffer and die. I follow Jesus. Whatever happens, Jesus follows me. I'm going to suffer and die. Peter calls the time out right here. He pulls Jesus over. He's like, Jesus, come over here, man. Let me talk to you about something. He kind of gives Peter or Jesus a little pep talk. He says, hey, Peter, uh, Jesus, I want you to look out there. You see that? It's 5,000 people. 5,000 people are following you right now. Don't you go negative on me. Don't you give a negative message, man. Look, man, we were down. We had three people. Three years ago, it was just me and you and James and John. That was it, like four followers, man. And now, now you're doing this crazy talk about suffering and dying. Like, you need to pull it together, bro. You need to go out there, and you need to give a sermon on prayer or forgiveness or love or something. Don't you go negative on me now. You hear me? All right, get back in there. Give him a slap on the rear. <laughs> get back in there, man. Jeez, man, I'm talking all that crazy talk. And, and Scripture says Jesus actually turned around, and here in this passage we see something about Peter that's very telling. A part of Peter is, is exposed here, and Jesus actually turns the table, and Jesus rebukes Peter and calls him out for, for what he knows. He said, Peter, you're just concerned with what's going to happen to me because you're concerned with what's going to happen to you. You don't care about me. You care about you. You don't care about God's plan for my suffering and death and my resurrection on the third day. Peter is just worried about Peter. And Jesus even calls it out here with the first perspective. Hey, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus here, if you're going to stay, I realize that after a message like this, when Jesus preached it, thousands of people left. Some people in this room may hear this today and say, I'm out, like I'm done, if that's what I knew that it was going to take. Here's the first perspective Jesus said. He said, Peter, you have the thoughts of a man when you should have the thoughts of God. In your mind is the thinking of a man and what should be there is the thinking of God. So here's the first perspective. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, we have to learn how to put our thinking and put our minds on the things of God versus the things of man. The things of God versus the things of man. There has to be a shift in our thinking that moves from what do I want to do to what has Jesus called me to do. What is God's purpose for my life versus what I want my purpose to be for my life? Here's the deal. When Jesus was speaking, here's the only thing that Peter heard. Suffering and death. <laughs> as soon as he heard suffering and death, he, he cut it off. He blanked out because he didn't hear Jesus say, and on the third day I will rise again. 
See, Jesus had a plan. God had a plan for Jesus' life that he would suffer and die and that three days later he would rise again. You want to know why? Because that is our salvation. That is your forgiveness of sin. This is the hope for the whole world. But the only thing Peter can think about, he's not thinking about the Savior of the world. He's not thinking about salvation for me and you. He's not thinking about God's plan. The only thing he can think about is, am I going to suffer and die? Is there going to be a level of discomfort in my life? Whoa, whoa, whoa. It it sounds like this is going to be really inconvenient for me. Like, forget about the Savior of the world. Forget about salvation. Forget about raising on the third day, because that's going to be awesome. Like, that's a lot of hope for us. Like, I just want to go back to the suffering and dying part. Peter was focused on the things of man versus being focused on the things of God, so much so that Peter missed his entire freedom and salvation. Because he was worried if he was going to get beat up in Jerusalem. He was worried what would happen to him if something bad actually happened to Jesus. That's the first shift in perspective. When you read a passage like this, if we're thinking on the things of man, we're going to be focused on what is it going to cost me? How much pain am I going to have to go through? Is this going to be inconvenient? Where is this going to lead me? As opposed to thinking on the things of God and saying, man, what is God's plan? Maybe God uses this to do something incredible. Maybe this brings about salvation in the life of people all around me. Would you be willing to have the perspective, the the shift in thinking from thinking about what's best for you versus thinking about what God's plan is for our lives? Verse 24, let's see how he responds. Then Jesus told his disciples, he looked up from the the, the small group that he was saying and looked to to the thousands that were listening. He said, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone, that word right there is awesome. Circle it, underline it. If anyone, the invitation is open to anyone and everyone. He doesn't say if the religious people. He doesn't say if the people that believe the right thing. He doesn't say if the people that are acting the right way and doing the right things. He said if anyone would come after me would come with me, would follow me. Here's here's the invitation that Jesus gives. If anyone would follow me, and he breaks it down into three different phrases. First of all, followers of Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus and continue to do so, we got to learn how to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Now, deny yourself is saying no to, to you. Now, we do this all the time. Like, that's a, don't, don't let that be a spiritual word for you. Don't, don't think of deny yourself. What is that? Because you and I deny ourselves all the time. Last time I went to a restaurant, at the end of the meal, the waitress came out and said, hey, would you like some dessert? And I said, mm, no, I don't think so. All I did was deny myself. All I did was say no to something. You and I say no to ourselves every day. You walk into work and your boss is being a jerk. And in your mind, you're thinking, let's knock this guy out. But you deny yourself. You say no. Like, let's go out and do something crazy to his car. Like, put a flat on his tire. Like, no, we deny ourselves. It's not uncommon. Like, this is not a weird thing. You and I do this every day. But when Jesus says deny yourself, when he says deny yourself in this passage, he's not talking about giving up something for Lent. Like he's not talking about just skipping a dessert every now and then. Because some of you are like, skipping a dessert? Yeah, I do that all the time. I'm in. Like I'm a follower. Yes, I'm denying myself. Just like Jesus said. Nah, here's, here's what Jesus means. Jesus doesn't say deny something for yourself. He says deny 
yourself. You see the difference in that? Like, don't, don't just strike something off the list and give it up for a week. Deny yourself. Here's what that means. Take you off of the throne of your life and let Jesus sit on the throne of your life. Not deny something for yourself, but deny yourself. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. Jesus doesn't say deny yourself and just kind of think a little bit less, just kind of give up something. Now Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you're not going to think about you at all. Your perspective is going to be on God and on his plan and on his purpose and what he can accomplish through your life. Like don't even like you're not even a close second to God in your life. He's on the throne and we deny ourselves. Here's the deal, man. Eventually you're going to get to a place in your life if you follow Jesus long enough where God will call you in one direction and you will want to go in the other direction. There'll be a fork in your life and you'll have to choose. Am I going to deny myself or am I going to deny Jesus? It's coming. I don't want you to get surprised when it gets here. First step that followers have to do is we have to deny ourselves. Second thing is, he says, pick up your cross. Now this phrase doesn't mean anything to us. Um, pick up your cross like people wear cross jewelry. Maybe when you think of a cross, you think of a picture of Jesus or like a, a statue of Jesus. Maybe you saw a Christian movie one time where they had a guy that kind of died on a cross, but it was all Hollywood and they tried to make it look good. And so like this phrase right has, for us doesn't mean anything. Pick up your cross. We've, we've never even seen a real cross right here. But, but I want you to understand what it would have meant for Jesus' original audience. They would have been terrified at that. Because here's what would happen. Here's why people got crucified on a cross. It was because they did something against the Roman government. And the Roman government would do this. They would crucify someone in a very public space. And they would leave their dead body hanging on the cross for weeks. Because they wanted every person that walked by there to have a reminder. You mess with the government and this is what happens. Every person that Jesus was speaking to would have known what a rotting body smells like on the cross. Every person that passed by would have known how bloody and brutal a crucifixion is. Every person would have known what the screams sound like of someone that is dying on a cross, slowly dying for hours. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush here. He says, if you're going to follow me, you got to be willing to pick up your cross. To deny yourself and pick up your cross. Everybody knew what pick up your cross meant. That's death, right? That'd be if I stood up today and said, hey, if you're going to follow me, you better go buy your own electric chair and just keep it on your back in case we have to use it. Keep the lethal injection with you at all times because this, we're probably heading to death. It's probably going to cost you everything to follow me. Pick up your cross. Now, i got some good news for us. No one in here is going to get crucified for their faith. No one in here. Jesus is not calling you and I to get a literal cross so that we can nail ourselves to it. That's good news, right? That should be good news for everybody. Everybody nods. Yes, good news. Good news. So what does that mean for us today? What is pick up your cross? The, the most simple way I can, I can break it down is this. An abandonment of personal ambition to follow Jesus. When Jesus looks at us and says, pick up your cross, he says, are you willing to abandon your personal ambition, your personal purpose, your personal desire, your personal ambition to follow and serve me?
That's what he was doing when he was looking at the people in this day, and it's the same question that he gives to us. Last one is this, follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Follow me, like in the simplest terms, it means when you follow someone, you relinquish control. You let go of it, right? If we jump in the car and and I say, hey, follow me, uh, and you're behind me, then you have to drive at my speed. Uh, If I run a red light and you're going to follow me, you're going to need to run it, or you won't be following me anymore. Um, If I'm going really slow, you may be behind me saying, oh, I can't believe he's going so slow. I can't believe he's taking this route. This is the long way. Like, but, but if you're following me, you can't change the route. You can't go faster. Following me means just relinquishing control. And that's what Jesus says. In your life, are you just going to stay behind Jesus and follow him no matter where he goes, no matter what turn, no matter how fast or how slow, no matter, no matter what it looks like, no matter if you think you know a faster way or a better way or a, a cheaper way or an easier way. Follow me means relinquish and dropping control. I don't know if you were here last week, but we had a united service. We had baptism, 12 people got baptized, man. I was so fired up about that. But I want, to, I want to remind you something. We cheered a lot, and we clapped a lot, and we partied and yelled really loud. But I just want to remind you of something. Jesus calls us to make disciples, not make converts. He doesn't call us to make people wet by getting them in the water. He says make followers. And so just like we celebrate when someone gives their life to Jesus, just like we celebrate when someone takes their next step in baptism, our church, we got to learn how to celebrate when people are willing to actually be disciples that make disciples, that, that are willing to follow Jesus, not just into the pool, but what it means when we abandon personal ambition to actually serve Jesus. Because that's what God has called us to do. The second thing is this. Here's the perspective. The first one was the sight of man versus the, the mind of God. The second one is this. We can either choose to focus on what we have to give up or what we get. Follower of Jesus cannot focus on what we have to give up. If you're going to make it, like if you're going to follow Jesus for the longevity of your life, you have to focus on what you're going to get. So audience participation time. I threw this out on Twitter last week, um, and I said, everybody that comes on Sunday, if you're following us on Twitter, I said, everybody that comes on Sunday, bring a $20 bill with them. So did anybody here bring a $20 bill? Does anybody have cash? Does anybody have a $20 bill? Chastity, you have a $20 bill. Can you come up here for a second? I'm going to turn this mic on. Here we go. Hard questions are getting ready to happen. All right, so you got a $20 bill. Let me see it. Okay. Now, let me show you this right here. What is this? A $50 bill. Here you go. You hold this. That's a $50 bill. Let me ask you a question. This is a $50 bill. This is real. Is this real? Okay, it is real. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to trade me that 20 for this 50 Now, you worked hard for that money. Like, that's your money. Like, 20s are hard to come by. Like, you can buy stuff with that 20. Like, why, why in the world would you want to trade? Why would you want to give a 20 up? So you'd be willing to give that up to get this. Okay, you can have this then. You can have that 50. It's, yeah, you can have it. No tricks. Everybody give her a hand so she can <laughs> You're good. You're good. <laughs> hey, here's. <laughs> you can sit down. Unless you want to preach the rest. Okay. 
Here's what followers of, of Jesus sometimes are consumed with. We hold this. Man, I don't want to have to give this up. Jeez, I worked hard for this 20. Oh, is, are you seriously calling me to give this up? Why are you all? That's just like a preacher to ask me to give something up. Man, like, that's just like Jesus. He's always asking me to give, always have to sacrifice, always have to give up. And, and people that will never make it in the long run, people that will understand the cost of following Jesus, they'll look at this and say, I'd re- I do not want to give, I don't want to deny myself of this 20. But if you take a step back, you'll realize that what you're getting in return from Jesus is more than what you had in the beginning. It's ridiculous to sit here and and complain and cry about what we have to give up when Jesus gives us so much more. Like, I don't understand why, who in their right mind wouldn't give up a 20 to get a 50? Like, is this a trick? Like, what's going on? What's going on here? But this is how people were processing it. This is how Peter processed it. This is how our mindset. We read a verse like, deny yourself. I'm like, shoot. Always talking about what I got to give up. Pick up your cross. Oh, dude, I don't want to do that. Follow me. I don't want to follow. I want to follow me in my 20. I don't want to follow Jesus and whatever he has. And, but here's the deal. When you change your perspective, you'll look at what you have in your life, and then you'll realize what Jesus has to offer and say, this is a no-brainer. This is easy. Take this 20. I got another 20 if you got another 50, right? Like, take it all. I'd be willing to deny myself over that. But too many times, people have the perspective of, what do I have to give up instead of what I get in return? What do I have to give up to follow Jesus? And we totally miss that on the third day, he raised from the grave. And we got to break that mentality. Jesus says that in 24, what we have to give up. But in verse 25 and 26, I'm going to show you what the $50 bill is. In 25 and 26, Jesus tells us what we're going to receive. And Jesus, being the powerful communicator that he is, does an incredible job of laying this out. Verse 25 and 26 read like this. And since, uh, that's not the right page, that's 18, that's a good chapter as well. Verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Quick poll. Raise your hand. Audience participation. Is anyone interested in saving their life in here? Anybody not want to die today? Anybody interested in saving their life? Okay, about 100%. 100%. Some people with short arms. Uh, interesting that Jesus says this. He kind of throws the question out that he knows the answer to. Does everybody want to save their life? Does everybody want to live? Of course we do. That's why we diet. Sometimes that's why we exercise. Sometimes that's why we look before we cross the street. That's why we wear a seat belt. Like we are in a hot pursuit to save our life. But Jesus makes an interesting observation. He said, did you know that everyone in here is going to die? Everybody know that? Raise your hand if you know that you're going to die. Okay, so the mortality rate of this room is hovering around 100% right now. Everybody's going to die. I don't care how many raw vegetables you eat. I don't care how much exercise you do. I don't care how many times you wear your seatbelt. I don't care how many times you look before you cross the road. I don't care how careful you are. Everybody in here is going to die. 
And Jesus makes this pretty obvious assumption here. He says, he looks at everybody in the face and says, one day you will lose your life. And everybody's on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. And he closes it with verse 26. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Let's play a game. Close your eyes and imagine that you had everything. I don't know what everything looks to you. Maybe it's the best cars, the best houses, the most money, the biggest family, the most power, the, the greatest career, just whatever. Scripture says, what, what if there was a man that had everything? I mean, just wildest imagination. Whatever it is in your life, imagine that you had everything. Now I want you to fast forward to the end of your life because we all recognize that we're all going to die. What if you lived the most awesome life that there ever could be lived, but you sacrificed your eternity? In America, 97% of people believe in the afterlife. You don't have to believe in God to believe that there is something after death. 97% of Americans would agree that something happens after you die. You don't just cease to exist. Like There is some form of afterlife. So what if you got to the end of your awesomely awesome lived life and you realize that everything that you live for and everything that you strive so hard to do to save your life would not matter that you would end up losing it anyway. What would you do? Scripture goes a little bit further and says, what would you do if you got to the end of your life and you realized that you lived the most awesome, awesome life that you could ever imagine, but you forfeited your soul, you lost your soul? What if you got to the end of your life and you realized that you lost your soul? Is there anything you would give to get your soul back? Everything. The audience said, yeah, yeah, I'd give every. If I knew that I was going to lose everything in this world and everything in this life, and I got to the end and realized that I had traded my soul for it, is there anything that I would give to get my soul back? Yes. Here's why. Because you realize that everything you have now, you're going to lose one day anyway. And these people made a great observation at this point. They realized something, that their soul was more important than anything they could have on earth. And Jesus said, bingo. You just made a great observation about yourself. That the most important thing in the world today is your soul. That if given the opportunity to choose between that and anything else you had, you would choose your eternity. You would choose your soul. See, when you put it in that perspective, it's a little different. When you stop and realize that no matter how hard you try to save your life, you're going to lose it one day. And then scripture says, what's going to happen to your soul? What happens to your eternity? Man, it's really not that big of a deal to give this up to follow Jesus. It's not that big of a deal to make a sacrifice if it means that our eternal soul is saved through the salvation of Jesus. Hey man, take the money. Take everything. What happens in eternity? What, what happens in your soul? If you're going to follow Jesus, here's the third perspective. You've got to switch from thinking about the right now to thinking about eternity. If you get caught up in the right now, you're going to be overwhelmed with your stuff and your money and your power and your prestige and your fame. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to focus and understand that you're going to lose all that one day. I don't care how bad you want to keep it. 
Everybody in here is going to die, and we'll stand in front of God and give an account. And what will happen then with your soul? Where will your eternity lead? Here's, here's some perspective on this. Man, I, I'm not asking you to be optimistic. <laughs> like, I'm not reading this story with blind optimism saying, Ah, it's going to be easy. Why don't you just give up everything, right? I'm not expecting everybody to walk out of here and sell all that you have to follow Jesus. This isn't about looking at a, an issue of Jesus and thinking that it's all rosy. Because here's the deal. Jesus never promised that it would be easy to follow him. He did promise it'd be worth it. When he says, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, he doesn't say it's going to be easy. He simply says, hey, would you be willing to give up your life, lose your life now, so that you can gain life in eternity? I mean, we just made that everybody agreed we'd give up everything if our eternity was at stake. The cost of following Jesus is about perspective. You can either have the mind of man or the mind of God. You can either think about what you have to give up or think about what you'll get when you follow Jesus. And you have to choose. You're going to think about the right now or you're going to think about eternity. Jesus said, if anyone, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whatever man would try to lose his life for my sake would actually find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what would a man be willing to give up in the end to get his soul back? Come with me. It's going to cost you. But I would argue that what you get in return pales in comparison to whatever you think you're going to give up whatever it's going to cost you following him is worth it.